Welcome to Civil Discourse. This podcast will use government documents to illuminate the workings of the American government and offer context around the effects of government agencies in your everyday life. And now your hosts, Nia Rogers, public affairs librarian, and Dr. John Augenbaugh, political science professor. Hey, Augie. Good morning, Nia. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thank you. So a while back, you talked to me about faithless electors, a case that was coming up. Um, actually, there were a couple of cases coming up, I think, before the courts. Yes. Um, and we spent a fair bit of time talking about what it was to be a faithless elector and that sort of thing. But now we've got rulings, right? So we can follow up on what the rulings were. That's right. Yep. Um, what we're talking about here is uh, there were two cases, one uh, originating in the state of Washington and the other one in the uh, state of Colorado, um, uh, where uh, both, uh, both states had laws that either penalized or removed uh, presidential electors who did not vote for the candidate they pledged to support, okay? And, and as we are fond of pointing out in this podcast, okay, um, this is one of those, un, you know, unmentioned, okay, um, uh, unanswered questions in the U.S. Constitution, right? Okay, you know, because we have the electoral college system, right? We go to vote in November, um, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and uh, according to the U.S. Constitution, okay, our vote then can be translated by a bunch of elites who are members of the electoral college, right? right? And what a whole bunch of states, well over 30 states have done historically, is basically make a requirement that people who are, okay, uh, identified as potential electoral college members have to follow the popular vote results within that state. Right, which is a little silly because you've already had the popular vote. Why don't you just go with the popular vote? That's right. Okay. It, but it's a system. It, and if nothing else in the United States, we love the system. Yes. We and like it, to be able to point to things and say, this is the, this is the way we do it. Well, um, and, and, and as I pointed out in that first podcast episode, it seems to be kind of sort of, um, it kind of sort of defeats the purpose of the Electoral College if the state can require you to follow the popular vote outcome. Right, because okay? the point of the Electoral College was to throw yourself in front of people who might be making a mistake. Yes. And, what, <laughs> and I think what we, what we referenced was a charismatic leader who is also dangerous, someone like, and, and I, there's been a false equivalency with Trump. This is not true. But what the, the founders, I think, were thinking in terms of and they didn't know Hitler, but that kind of leader, someone who is just a vile human and would lead the country to destruction. The theory is that the, that the Electoral College would know that guy and say, no, 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 that's not, you've been taken in by his charisma. Yeah, this I is mean, not okay. Let me leap in front of this and pick somebody else. And then the states were like, there is no picking. You will do what we are what we are telling you to do, which I'm like, well, then then that's the popular vote, and we don't need an electoral college. 
Yeah, I mean, and 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 I and, and we discussed this, and in a, a point that you know we discussed in that previous podcast was this idea that you know the the framers had a certain level of distrust of voters. Yes. Okay. And in in part of that podcast, you and I made reference to any number, okay, of people who were picked as presidents where apparently the Electoral College didn't fulfill the wishes of the framers. <laughs> I mean, I mean, let's face it, okay, we had an entire century, the 19th century, that with the exception of a few noteworthy anomalies, presidents were mediocre. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know the ones you can't remember the names of the ones in the middle? Those are the ones we're talking about. Yeah, right. Like okay. people go really well. People are like Washington, Adams, Jefferson. And then all of a sudden they go Eisenhower and they get, and you're like, wait, wait, wait. There was some people, there were people in the middle. <laughs> yeah, right. And then they're like, yeah, some guys. And then you get to, you know, which I always think is kind of funny. Part of that is just that we, we're terrible at, uh, history history but, but i mean when i teach intro to u.s government Nia, and and i get to the section about the presidency and i talk about the evolution of the office of presidency and you know and even in conversations i've had with my colleague bill newman who teaches a course called the presidency right which he's teaching this fall if people haven't filled their yeah, yes their poli-sci requirements requirements yet. right but i mean <laughs> he he and i joke about how you know Maybe after Andrew Jackson, and by the way, you know, Andrew Jackson was, you know, probably, you know, a good example of a populist presidential candidate that many electors, okay, might have gone ahead and said, hmm, I'm not entirely sure about him. But, you know, after Andrew Jackson, okay, you know, we have, you know, nearly three decades, or, okay, two decades of mediocre presidents, then you have Abraham Lincoln, and then you have a whole bunch of mediocre presidents after Lincoln. Yeah. Right? Okay. Whole bunch of guys that you that you know their names, but you don't know what order they come in. in like, right? If you don't know what order they come in, they're the group we're talking about. Talking about, right? So what happened? <laughs> what happened in We're not very nice about that. Sorry, presidential scholars. That's just yes. our point our viewpoint. Okay. But what you had then was a practice that developed that's not covered by the Constitution. Could states force members of the Electoral College to follow the popular vote? Yet wasn't these in one of these cases, wasn't the guy fined? Okay, in one case he was fined. In the other case, okay, the state allowed the Attorney General to remove the elector and replace him. <laughs> <laughs> Which is technically worse than being fined, although yeah. it depends on the fine. But yeah. yeah, but anyway, it's not it's not a good message. It's okay. not, it's not a good message to say you didn't vote the way we wanted you to vote, so we're going to replace you with somebody who will. Okay, and but 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 as we discussed in the podcast, and by the way, if you read the transcript of the oral arguments of these two consolidated cases, the justices, in some ways. Okay, uh, we're talking about some of the things you and I talked about in the previous podcast episode. <laughs> which you was, don't think they listened to you because that would be awesome. Oh, that would be awesome. Okay. okay. Hi, SCOTUS, if you're listening, we love yeah. you. Yeah. Hi, Justices so and so. Okay. Uh, but we identified 
that if the states can't control the electors, okay, think about what they could possibly do to an election. Well, yeah, if they got enough of them together, I think we were we were contemplating like if they got enough together, yes. they could elect somebody who wasn't even yes. even even like in the running. Like they could say they could say, oh, that like that Mike Bloomberg dude. Let's just put him in." Well, I mean, and I think uh, the uh, the do they uh, have to pick somebody on a ballot? Well, th that's the thing. In both of these cases, okay, the, 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 the faithless elector picks somebody who was not even running. I think in the state of Washington, the faithless elector wrote in Colin Powell, okay? Oh, I'd be down with that. Colin Powell would be an awesome president. Okay. He'd be the Morgan Freeman of presidents. You know what I mean? He'd be <laughs> cool and calm and, sort of, and extremely presidential. And just be all like, hey, we're all going to be okay. I mean, that's a man who's been under fire, right? So he totally. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. If nobody shot me this morning. It's a good day. You know, like that's uh, my friends in the Marines say that. Well, nobody's shooting at me. Um, okay. But, and in Colorado, I, I think the faithless elector uh, uh, wrote in John Kasich. Okay. <laughs> awesome. Okay. Who had dropped from. Yes. Okay. Former governor. Former governor of Ohio, blah, 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 right? Uh, okay, parties of Virginia, if you ever make me an elector, I'm just telling you right now, I'm going to write in Mickey Mouse. <laughs> I'm, I, you know, just saying. Keep so that think, in mind if I ever move up in politics. So uh, uh, the, the, the Supreme Court hears this. Um, and actually, the 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 uh, the vote was unanimous. Okay, uh, states can place restrictions on their electoral college members to ensure that these members follow the popular vote in that state for the presidential election. Okay, um, there were only two opinions. Okay. The majority opinion was written by Justice Elena Kagan, okay? And Kagan just basically went ahead and said, one, the Constitution is silent. Two, okay, the because the Constitution is silent, okay, um, we will acknowledge the historical practice, okay, that developed early on in our country's history. Political parties basically wrote it into state law okay, in well over a majority of the states that electoral college members, and again, for those of you who don't know the process, okay, let's say we're talking about Virginia, right? And this fall, there's a presidential election, okay? Let's say Nia and I are members of the Democratic Party, okay? And for all of our faithful years of knocking on doors and trying to raise money, Okay. Phone uh, calls and phone calls, right? And folding okay. flyers and putting them in yes. envelopes and licking and going yes, to all boring, of that. Going to boring dinners with really poorly cooked chicken. Okay. <laughs> okay. We have been identified as potential electoral college members if the Democratic uh, uh, candidate wins a majority. Okay. And let's just say Virginia had one of these requirements. Nia and I would both have to go ahead and swear, okay, that we will go to Washington, D.C., okay, uh, you know, 
uh, in December and cast our votes for, okay, um, the Democratic uh, uh, candidate who won the uh, popular vote in Virginia. Okay. Right. So in that, this particular instance, likely to be Joe Biden. So yes. we would have to promise that we were going yes. to go to, New, to Washington yes. and vote for Joe Biden. Yes. Okay. Even if you and I personally didn't like did not Joe care Biden. for Joe Biden. Yes. Right? And we both want to vote for uh, Amy Klobuchar. I'm just picking a name. Um, or in your case, you know, Mickey Mouse. Or Mickey right? Mouse. I, well, I always want to vote for Mickey Mouse. Um, but, you know, me, I would go Actually, ahead. listeners, just in case you were wondering, when, I, when I'm truly faced with a conundrum of candidates that I really don't like any of my choices, I write in Augie, just so you know. <laughs> I, I've, I've written him in for, like, Attorney General. I've written him in for all kinds of stuff. Um, I've, made the, I've made that my practice for several years now. So anyway, so I would be writing in you, probably. I'd be like, and I think Augie should be president. Um, or myself but so then so in december december 6th 8th somewhere around them it's the first week in december i think is when they do that yes yep and then once they vote and vote put in their votes then the election is actually certified until then it is the presumed yes presidential person yes. right it is so, so on election night when you see those you know various media organizations predicting winners okay okay they're predicting the presumed winner okay right. not um, not at the local level but at the presidential level at the pre presidential level okay the local level it's done yeah. it's a good it's all done and the, the governorship in no state works that way right there's no no there's no electoral college for governors once you no. have a so it's only at the federal level of that's course. right so so kagan emphasized the fact that it, it's the historical practice and that the Supreme Court should acknowledge the historical practice. Okay. Which means that that practice will never change. No. Like she had the opportunity to say, you know what, this is where third party voices yes. could be heard or whatever. And what she said was, no, no, the system has been this way for 220 years. We're going to leave it the way it is. And, and, and Kagan's majority opinion falls into the category of, you know, at times, the Supreme Court will go ahead and say, uh, this is known as the reliance principle, okay? People in the country have relied on X for years. And today, we're acknowledging that in this area not covered by the law, whether it be the Constitution or statutory law, they've relied on this, okay? And we see no good reason to change that. Okay, but I have a question. Yes. How does this not fall under freedom of speech? Oh, but that was part of the argument made by the faithless electors. Right. That's okay. the argument that I would make is that yes. you you can hire me to do something like like if let's say you hire me to promote your classes. <laughs> okay. Right. So I'm walking around campus promoting your classes. I don't know why you would do that, but let's just <laughs> say you did that. Okay. Once you've hired me, like you could fire me, I can understand them being able to fire an elector after they have done something like put in someone else's write-in Augie. 
right? Okay. Like, I understand why they could fire me for doing that afterwards. Never let you be an elector again. Right. Okay, but they can't go ahead and correct your behavior, okay? Well, In the current moment. Have, yeah, because you still have the authority. You are an elector. Exactly. Okay? And, that, and that was part of the argument, okay? And a majority, you know, a unanimous Supreme Court said, yeah, thanks for sharing, but no, okay? <laughs> So they got that one wrong a little bit, mm. I think. Yeah. Now, I Clarence, mean, Clarence if Thompson, they're listening, no offense yes. to them, but but I, I'm not sure that I agree with that. I think that they're like that's you. That's the risk you run if you put a person in who you don't, who you either don't know well enough to know what they might do, or you've pissed off your members so much that they don't want to do what you tell them to do, right? Like part of that is, is you as an employer, if you've done that well, and, I mean, you're, and your guy is so aggravated with your choice, that's well, on you. Yeah. And, and think about this, you know, Mia, you and I have talked about how there are uh, 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 significant wings of both political parties today who don't like what their party leadership is doing. Right? I would say that there most there are factions. I would say that both of the parties are almost entirely split into various factions. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that there's anybody who thinks yeah. of themselves as. I mean, think about the uh, the progressives in the Democratic Party. Right. Okay? I mean, you know, you know, they still clamor for Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren, right? And in the Republican Party, okay, you know, you got you know. Uh, uh, um, uh, balanced budget folks, Tea Partiers, who are just completely aghast by what's going on right now in the Republican Party. Oh my gosh, they as a group, when the stimulus came out, laid down oh. and put a cold compress on their foreheads because they yeah. were like, what are we doing? Right, because everything they've been working towards has been to balance the budget, not to spend trillions of dollars. dollars so, yeah, yes. there, there's factions okay. in each group but i would say that most of the groups are like made up more of factions than group oh yeah at this yeah. point yeah um now to me what was fascinating was the debate between kagan's majority opinion which went ahead and said this has been historical practice that's not prohibited by the constitution and clarence thomas's concurrence where he goes ahead and says well the constitution is silent so the states can do whatever the hell they want <laughs> See, and I, I am, I'm gonna, oh man, I'm gonna this is, agree. This is where I'm gonna I get agree you. with Justice Thomas. Um, this is where I get you because yeah. this is where you're like, wait a minute here. I, I actually agree with Justice Thomas. On I this. do. I agree with Justice <laughs> Thomas. Um, because what's funny to me is that, and I think we've discussed this before, right? This sort of, the idea of federalism is now a democratic party thing and states rights is now a republican party thing and that is a reversal from yeah. 150 years ago right we think civil war was was the reverse of that so no no no, no, no. wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute during the civil war it was states controlled by democrats okay who believed in states rights okay then it okay you know, if you think about states' rights, okay, yeah, okay, because... Wait, 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 the South was Republican. Uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. The War, South was Democrat? Yeah, it was Democrat. Remember, Abraham Lincoln was a Republican. 
Okay. Yes. Okay, I'm getting that mixed up. Oh, I'm so okay. embarrassed. Sorry, listeners. Turns out I'm dumber than I thought. No, 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 um, no, 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 no. But it, it, because it, it, I it, thought the South was Democrat. Okay, South was Democrat. And okay, I thought Nixon had some Civil sort War. of Democrat plan. No, no, no. For the it, South. It, it, okay, many Southern states were controlled by Democrats pre-Civil War, during the Civil War, and most notably after the Civil War. Okay. It wasn't until you get into the 1930s, 40s, and 50s when the Democratic Party began to shift from, okay, this idea of states' rights to national government. Think FDR. Right. Okay? You need a big new deal. But that's not until the 1930s. Before that, okay, you know, federalism was advocated most strongly by the Democratic Party, not the Republican Party. You don't get the Republican Party jumping on board on this notion of states' rights until you get to the 1970s and 80s as a response to, okay, the New Deal, LBJ's, okay, Great Society. Which is okay, all federalism, right? It's okay, yeah. And, 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 and all the Supreme Court rulings who went ahead and said, no, you need a national uniformed meaning of the Equal Protection Clause. Okay, or all cops in the country have to follow Miranda. And all of a sudden, you're like, you know, many states were like, hey, wait a minute. These are liberals telling us, okay, what the hell we can and cannot do. And you get Reagan in the 1980s, and then his judges in the late 80s, in the 90s, all of a sudden start resurrecting states' rights as a limit to Congress's Commerce Clause power. <laughs> and you're, by the way, this is one of those times to where it's really too bad we don't have the video of the podcast <laughs> because Mia, okay, just did a combination of rolling her eyes, okay, and giving me this look of he just mentioned the Commerce Clause. Oh my gosh, you again. and the Commerce Clause. Right? Uh, I, yeah. I, I, you know what I've what I've decided, or rather, in every argument now, um, <laughs> not argument, but every time I have a have a, a back and forth with a colleague or a friend, I'm like, well, the commerce clause. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, okay, you and the commerce clause. I'm like, no, Augie and the commerce clause, which has bled over into my life. No, but, but but I'm agreeing with Thomas in the sense that uh, it seems to me that the Tenth Amendment pretty much that's what it says, right? Anything not enumerated in the Constitution falls to the states. Yeah, if it's not given to the federal government, okay, it's reserved to the states and to the people. So yeah. I agree with him, which makes me feel weird, but it's <laughs> because usually he and I are on very opposite sides of most things um, because he does these sort of strict interpretational things that I, that I'm not a huge fan of. Um, although I, I do want to note for the record, I think Thomas, I think Justice Thomas is a brilliant jurist. I just don't agree with him on, um, oh, hey, on a lot of his, on a lot of where that takes him. Um, and yeah, I have problems with, right, with some of the concerns with his behaviors before um, being a Yeah, I mean, yeah, they, they were brought to light during his nomination. Right, hearing. which is all very complicated. And, and same reason that I have complications with some of the other justices as well. Um, but, but Dia, you've heard me say this, and I know this, we're digressing a little bit from yeah. uh, the faithless elector cases, 
but you've heard me say this, and I've written uh, about this, okay? To me, one of the more fascinating justices currently on the Supreme Court is Clarence Thomas, simply because he asks, okay, what if or why questions, okay, that challenge, okay, accepted norms that I think is extremely valuable, okay, on any institution like the Supreme Court that, it's, that has been in existence for well over 200 years, right? Yeah, and he also makes you defend your position in a way that, like, when he asks those questions and you don't have an answer for them. Sure. That's a, that's a really important thing that he does. He, his, you know, his forcing I mean, we, you into the position of having to say, oh, I don't know why I believe that that's true. Okay, well, then maybe it's not true, right? Like, there's, there's well, an interesting, he, he's a complex figure. Um, I, well, think I mean, you think about this, uh, Neil, one of the topics uh, you and I have talked about covering uh, either later on in the summer or maybe in the fall is this idea of qualified immunity. Right. Okay. Um, and Clarence Thomas and uh, uh, his colleague, Justice Sonia Sotomayor, okay, who are on the opposite ends of the ideological spectrum for the Supreme Court, both of them, okay, have remarked that they would like the court to revisit qualified immunity, okay? He's been making that argument, okay, for, you know, well over a decade, okay? And by the way, I mean, who's, who's now making the argument about getting rid of qualified immunity? many liberals who would like to see qualified immunity removed for police officers. Right. Okay. So, you know, right. to your, Wait. to your point about states' rights. Okay. You know, many of the arguments that states have made in challenging Trump administration, um, uh, administrative decisions are founded in the logic that Clarence Thomas and other conservatives on the Supreme Court have been making since the late 1980s, early 1990s. Right, sanctuary cities was sanctuary a, cities a really a good example. example of that. The 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 idea that something should be up to the states, which is funny. It's just funny to me how what's great about politics and what's great about the American system is that it is over time. It sh it has these shifts of uh, it, of what people believe something means in some ways the constitution is made of silly putty right yes. like it's just incredibly malleable and you can do all kinds of things with it in some ways it's not which is also interesting um but i, I also take kagan's point that that um if it if if the constitution is silent then you have historical precedent like what else do you have, right? Like, and it, yes. it's funny to me that they, that Thomas is like, well, you have states' rights, right? Like, like that's yes. what else you have. I mean, he answered her question. Basically, her question was, well, what else do you have? You have history. And he's like, or? But I like that those two people who are not particularly ideologically tied 
Yeah. Um, I mean, they're hardly ever ideologically compatible. <laughs> came, came to the same conclusion from different locations, which goes to one of the things that I like about the Supreme Court um, and that amuses me deeply is every once in a while there will be a, an opinion and four or five concurrences that are like, well, we got there all wrong. Here's the reason we should get there, blah, 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 blah. But I agree with where we got to, so I'm not going to complain. Uh, I like that there's... Um, that that frequently happens. And I, I also think that, that it's interesting when they vote unanimously because it's very um, forceful when that yes. happens, especially yes. these days when we're not seeing as much of that as we once were. Um, I think it, well, it, I mean, lends, it, it lends a stronger, I mean, in this particular case, I, th I don't like it because I'm not a huge fan of, of forcing people to, bend to well, your it, will or else. I mean, there's a giant or else there hanging over the electors that I'm not a huge fan of. Well, one of the parties in these faithless electors cases really wanted the Supreme Court to rule against the states in an effort to go ahead and get people to go ahead and say, well, if the electoral college members could basically blow up an election maybe we should get rid of the electoral college and the justices didn't take the bait right <laughs> right we we see through that and we're not wading into that question yeah well, right? and ra frankly that's not a question for the courts yes that's a that's yes. a that's a question that's a political, for right that's a, for political, the, that's a political will question for the populace right right if if we all feel that strongly that the electoral college Okay, is antiquated. Okay, is no longer serving any worthwhile function. Then we should amend the Constitution. Right. Okay, and I tell my students this all the time. Okay, if you think the Electoral College, okay, is so terrible, and many of my students point to the 2016 presidential election outcome as you know, you know, case in point. Right. Proof that it, it doesn't didn't work. Okay. It doesn't do said, what it's supposed to do. Then I said, make it a priority, convince a majority to put pressure on members of Congress to propose and accept an amendment and send it to the states. I said, what you're going to run into historically is the fact that most, okay, uh, 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 elites in political parties like the Electoral College because they know that game. Right. They know that game. It's predictable. Right? It's incredibly predictable. We talked about that in the previous podcast that yes. that the that the college that the um electoral college predictability level is actually pretty high. Um, yes. And and they like that. They like that because they understand that system and they know how to work it and they know how to and both sides like it. It'd be one thing if one side loved it and one side hated it because you might actually have a shot at a at, a, at an amendment, but both sides like it because it benefits both sides, uh, you know. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. I, I always hear that, the, you know, why can't it be the popular vote? And, and I'm like, well, it could be if you change the Constitution. And the other thing is, and, and this is off topic, but I want to just say it um, while we're talking about changing the Constitution. I like the Constitution 
I do. I have a pocket constitution on my desk. Um, I don't hit people with it the way Senator Byrd did, but I, 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 I've been tempted to on occasion. Um, but I'm, I'm a fan of the constitution, but the constitution is not perfect. And in no. my mind, it, it should be a living document, which means that you should, we should amend it as needed. I don't think it should be amended every year. I like that it's a hard process to amend because it makes you slow down and think about do we really need to change this or can we change the law in some other way? But it can be amended. 27 amendments is probably ridiculously low for a document of its age. Like there are things we could have put in there that would have, would have answered a lot of questions. Um, but yeah, people are, no, 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 you can't change the constitution. Well, you can. We've done it a few times and we probably ought to do it a few more times. There's probably some other stuff that we could change in it um well i mean and but that's political will like you said well and you advocate for the constitution to be interpreted as a living document okay um and i'm not on the other side okay you know i'm not a strict constructionist by any stretch on the other hand okay i kind of sort of like how the supreme court ruled in the faithless electors cases because they basically just went ahead and said, okay, here's what's been going on. Here's the specific dilemma. We'll deal with the specific dilemma. And we're not going to go ahead and take the bait for any of these larger issues that other people might actually want us to provide clarification on. Okay. It was, in many ways, a judicial minimalist decision. Okay. Yeah um well uh, and basically what they've done here a bunch of times lately is said you know who can fix that yes. congress congress yes. can fix that and congress they ought can... to do that yes but... okay or you know uh the executive branch could fix this if they're willing to play by the rules right um and and and, and, <laughs> and we didn't think that they played by the rules so um back now it's back to them Right. Right. You know, you know, so if this is a tennis match, okay, the Supreme Court has basically hit the ball back over to the net and basically said to the political branches, okay, so what are you guys going to do about it? What's your shot? Okay. Because yeah, we basically we've told, we basically have told you what our shot is. We just hit it back over the net. We've got a couple of more cases where we're going to be talking about that. The sort of. Yes. Oh, they, they, the ball comes at them and they grab it and they look at it and it has Congress written on it. So they throw it back and they're like, this is, <laughs> this is yours. This came into my yard, but it's actually yours. Here you go. They throw it back over the fence. Um, I, I, I really like that metaphor. Uh, and it reminds me, uh, my daughter and I were playing baseball in my backyard a couple of weeks ago and we were doing a batting practice, you know, where, you know, I throw her pitches and she swings a bat and I don't have a huge backyard. And occasionally one of us will hit it over my fence and over my neighbor's fence and it lands in their backyard. So earlier this week, uh, my neighbor saw me out in the backyard and he goes, Hey, I got three baseballs and I think they're <laughs> yours. And he throws them back over at me. And I said, what, you don't want to uh, play baseball? He goes, I'm afraid my dogs will think that these are brand new toys for them and uh, you won't, and you won't like 
okay, the shape of the baseballs afterwards. That's okay. your slobber and the chewing and the, yeah. Yes, so he threw him back over and I said, hey, thanks. And he goes, by the way, he goes, Mackenzie's got a nice swing if she's hitting the <laughs> ball over into my yard. <laughs> I'm like, okay, right? Yeah, he basically was acting like the Supreme Court. Hey, these are your balls. Um, thanks for sharing. Uh, we don't want them. <laughs> yeah. No, and we certainly don't want to chew on them. Go yeah. take this and go away. I uh, oh, I would love it if she turned out to be a professional baseball player. Oh, that so would, would be, I. That would be oh, perfect for you, wouldn't it? The, you oh, spend yes. the rest of your life in, in traveling around base, in baseball yeah, stadiums. Yeah, just going to baseball games. <laughs> That's right. Um, I, I'm going to hope for that. The the, the <clears throat> back to the case the the well yeah back to this sort of um so if so the outcome here is what that that electors now have been put on notice or yes. will they be asked to sign something or is there well i mean it, there are a couple of potential uh, implications of the ruling. One, you could see more states do what Washington and Colorado did. And by the way, you know, a majority of the states already have, if you will, uh, prohibitions on electors being faithless. Okay. okay. Um, but, you know, there are plenty of other states who could do this, right? So that's, you know, one potential consequence. Um, but I think going forward, um, the message is pretty clear to electoral college members. If you agree to be an electoral college member and your state has a requirement, the Supreme Court's not going to go ahead and back you if you decide to go rogue. Okay. okay? So you will uh, play by the rules. Period. Yeah, you'll play by the rules or just don't do it. Right. Okay. Um, and again, you know, we've had you know, faithless electors throughout our country's history. We just haven't had that many of them, right? Right. They're yeah. not as a group rising up and electing people who <laughs> who aren't even on the ballot or, you know what yeah. I mean? Like, oh, yeah. well, we got together 400 electors and we've decided to put Augie in as president. Right. But the, that hasn't happened. It has not Generally, happened. Generally, it's one or two or even not any in an election, right? There have been elections yes. where there haven't been any. That's right. And then occasionally okay. it's somebody who's like, hmm, John Kasich, I'm going to write in John Kasich, right? Like, yeah. Okay. So to make a point, I suspect to make a point or to make a statement, they know they're not going to change the election outcome. What they're trying to do is say, I don't like the system, the way the system is set up. That's right. Yep. I want either more parties or more choices or a popular vote or something. That's what they're trying to say when they do that. Yep. Um, and again, I come back to it is stifling their First Amendment rights, which I will go down believing no matter what this ship is. Um, and, and even though I agree with, uh, with the idea that it should come back to the states, I, I still think there's got to be something in there about the first amendment that we're not meant that we're not, that there's got to be a way to have both those ideas at once. I have multitudes, so I should be able to have both of those ideas at the same time. Um, well, but, but again, I mean, it, it, this podcast emphasizes of nothing else, how you can feel strongly about something, but also recognize that you feel strongly about something else. 
Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, think about it, right? Yes. I mean, you know, you know, Nia, you said something. You know, Cognitive you, dissonance. I yes, can hold yes. two of these ideas that don't go together at the same time. Thank you very much. I've been doing it all my life. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you mentioned this a few moments ago, Nia, about how uh, you're a champion of the Constitution, but you recognize it's not perfect. I say that all the time to my students, okay? I mean, I've been teaching constitutional law for nearly 25 years now, right? It's not a perfect document. If it was perfect, I would have nothing to teach. Right. Okay. Here, go uh, read this. There's a text next week, test next week. We're done. Right? Yeah, like we're that's... done, right? Okay. Yeah. Um, it is a document that was created by humans in a different era, okay, reflecting values, beliefs, ideas, okay, that were, you know, very customary perhaps at that time. Okay, they may not necessarily work or hold for today. So how do we retrofit it so that it still works today? Or do we just go ahead and get rid of it, right? Right. Okay, do we have a constitutional convention and re you know, come up with a new one? In Philadelphia in the summer. Yeah. <laughs> Let's recreate the first conditions and see what we get. You know, like that thing where they say, if you have a thousand monkeys typing on a typewriter, you'll eventually get Shakespeare. Yeah. If we hold it under the exact same conditions, would we get the same constitution? I would bet not. Okay. Send them down to, you know, Phoenix, Arizona in the middle of the summer. <laughs> That's right. Okay. That's right. It. You have to work in the, you have to work in a building with no air conditioning. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, but I mean, goodness. you know, um, uh, but it would get written a lot faster. It would get written a lot faster than it did in those days. If because well, people yeah. are less patient now. Yes. Like I didn't realize there's this thing called stand-up meetings because we don't have them at the library. But apparently in corporations <laughs> and stuff, we don't. We just don't. That's not what we do. That's not my people. My people are long-winded, um, <laughs> as you can tell by the way I talk. So, but there apparently in corporations there are these meetings where everybody stands, and the theory is that the longer like. They're shorter meetings because yes. you do all the work standing up, yes. right? Um, not just corporations, but some government agencies. Friends of mine at NASA say they have one every morning too. And, and I, I think, wow, what if you did that with the Constitution? <laughs> We're going to stand up to write the Constitution. <laughs> the people with the most stamina, you know, at the end, they're the people who are writing the third See, that may have been what happened with Article 3 the last time. Yeah, there it you go. It may have been that the only people with stamina were left to talk about the courts. Yeah. Um, so we've got a couple more cases we're going to go through, and then um, and then we're going to take a little break, I think, um, in August, because we are – so we may be publishing, um, but we probably won't be recording new things. We've got a couple of things tucked away that we want you guys to listen to. Um, but we're going to take a little break, I think, in the beginning, because August is going to be interesting. Uh, for people who are not at Virginia Commonwealth University, we will be having students back on campus um, starting in early August. Yes. And classes start mid-August, um, which is a little earlier than they usually start, about a week early. Um, and ending a week early in November, so that may affect our, our recording schedule just a little bit, but we will try to keep you informed as much as we can about where we expect to be going with recording. Yep. So thank you so much, Augie, for talking to me about this. 
and uh, we'll get together and talk about the last, what, three or four cases yes. um, that, that have come out, and then we'll be uh, on to other things, because I feel certain that SCOTUS is going to take a long break. Probably not, really. October, yeah. right? No, uh, August. No, 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 no. They come back uh, the last week of September, September. To, to hold their big uh, summer conference to decide uh, which cases, um, they, uh, which appeals came in during the summer. Uh, they want to fill up their uh, next term's docket. Um, and then they hear their um, first oral arguments after the first Monday of October. Yep. So we'll have some more stuff to talk about with them later in the fall. Yes. All right. I'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye, Nia. Bye. You've been listening to Civil Discourse, brought to you by VCU Libraries. Opinions expressed are solely the speaker's own and do not reflect the views or opinions of VCU or VCU Libraries. Special thanks to the Workshop for Technical Assistance. Music by Isaac Hobson. Find more information at guides.library.vcu.edu slash discourse. As always, no documents were harmed in the making of this podcast.